Hey, you've checked out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast, and this is round two. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast, and this is round two. Round two is where we bring back not just my favorite guests, but your favorite guests back to the podcast where we hear a little bit more about not just their story, what's going on with them, but also some of the incredible insights, building on the incredible insights that they shared on the first go-around in the episode. They're back again to share even more incredible good advice on the show today. Today's episode is with my good good friend, Brian Sexton. And I say that with the most sincerity I could possibly mean. Brian really is a good friend. It's it's incredible when you meet someone who they just understand relationship building. They understand what it means to look someone in the eyes and give them value. And as you can understand, these are people who actually become pretty incredible salespeople and they become, they, they're so gifted at knowing how to really drive your bottom line because they understand that business is personal and it's all about relationships. He's the host of the Intentional Encourager podcast. He's also the author of the new book. You can get it on Amazon called People Buy From People. Brian, welcome back to the podcast today. You know, the first time, Blake, that you and I had a conversation together, I had neither one of those things. I didn't have the intentional encourager podcast. I didn't have the people buy from people book. I feel like I've adopted two kids. You know, I feel like, I, I feel like we well, yeah, what's happened to you lately, Brian. Well, since the last time we talked, Blake, I've, I've taken on two kids. So yeah, it's a uh, uh, man. What an honor to be back on round two of the good advice podcast. I am so proud of you for what you have, for what you're doing. And I will tell your audience this the Intentional Encourager podcast doesn't happen without Blake Benz and his advice, his good advice. See, another plug there for the his <laughs> his incredible advice, which was better than good, and just him, his support and encouragement of me. So, Blake, thank you, man, from the bottom of my heart. You were an endorser on People Buy from People. And so again, it's just an honor to be back on the good advice podcast. You're a guy that walks out the same thing. Who you are is who you are, uh, off podcast or on podcast. And I, that's what I love about you. You're the same all the time. I mean, that's, that is the goal for sure. And you know, it's interesting. Cause I, you mentioned how the first time you were on the show and I, I think you and I just hit it off right off the bat. I, I can't remember the process of when you got actually on the episode, but I remember us talking over the phone and us really jiving yeah. over like, okay, we, we both, we both see business the same way. Yeah. And you even had this line on the past podcast episode, uh, which I think it's episode 76 off to double check that, but for the listeners, you gotta go, you gotta go back and listen to this episode. Cause it's pretty incredible. You had this line that has always stuck with me. And it was, if I if I don't want to have a cup of coffee with you, 
why would I buy from you? Yeah. And you you said it and it just, man, I could feel the truth behind that sentence, like just sinking into, I mean, I was thinking about that and I was like, yeah, if I don't, if I don't know the person to the degree of, I can trust them enough to sit down with them and have a conversation with them and at least enjoy their company enough, I'm not going to buy from this person. So what's really incredible about you, Brian, is it's, it's hard for me to separate the Brian I know now who's the host of the Intentional Encourager podcast, who's the author of People Buy From People. And then think about that, Brian, who didn't have those things. Because it, it. I think what's crazy is you didn't have to create something new. You didn't go to like a seminar that was like, you know, hey, you need to publish a book. Let's think about what you could talk about. Yeah. I think what's exciting about you is anytime someone listens to you, you ooze these concepts that are so true and relevant and important for business. And so in my mind, the podcast, the book, and whatever else is is incoming in the future has just been a natural progression of just giving the the insight that you have. Now, I, I want to give you a chance to respond. Well, to my initials are BS. So you put two and two <laughs> together from there. So, But I, I want to ask you something because as you know, people who listen to this podcast, they many of them are running a business. Some of them are working in their nine to five job. Other ones are sort of dreaming about starting that business and what all of it can entail. You're somebody who you, you, you've built this from your heart. You've built it from what you're passionate about, what yeah. you know, what you believe. Talk a little more about that, especially for some of our, our listeners who they are, they're a entrepreneur. They want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't even know what to offer. Like, what, what do I need to sell? What do I need to do? They don't, they don't know the what. They just like the idea of being an entrepreneur. Help us speak to that just a little bit. Well, it's real simple, Blake. And I say it in the in the first few lines of people buy from people. People buy connection before they ever make a transaction. So if you know how to connect with people and, and what you do, if you can connect people with, with, with what you do, with how they'll benefit from what you do, then you, you're 90% there. You've taken the ball to the 10, so to speak, in a, in a football term. And, and of course, you live in football crazy Arkansas. And so, you know, I, I know that when I'm speaking to people, I'm speaking the language. I'm we, actually speaking Brian, a love language. Brian, Brian, we once had an article written about us by ESPN saying that we were some of the most psychotic fans for, <laughs> for no reason at all. We had no reason to be because we're not Alabama. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we have not had a very stable football program, but ESPN went as far as to call us crazy psychotic because we are so football crazy. Well, there's a couple of connections to Arkansas football, Arkansas sports that that have some personal meaning this way. Um, so the athletic director at, at Arkansas now is a guy named Hunter Juracek. His son, Ryan, played at Marshall, which was my alma mater. He was a great tight end at, at Marshall. And so there's some synergy there. And I, I think at some point, Marshall and Arkansas are going to meet on the football field. I, I just, I have this funny feeling that wanna, it's going to happen. I don't want to put our friendship at risk, man. I hope that never happens. Well, I hope it, yeah, I hope we have I, a home and I home would hate to, to have my team beat you and us have to face each other. Well, it's entirely possible, <laughs> but look, I'm looking for a home and home to yeah. where I can come to Fayetteville. Oh yeah. And you can come to Huntington. But, um, the second thing is, um, John Pelfrey, who used to coach the Arkansas Razorbacks yeah, basketball. basketball team, right. 
is from Paintsville, Kentucky, about an hour and a half from here. And there's yeah. a lot of uh, diehard fans. In fact, we thought John Pelfrey was going to come to Marshall and play basketball, but he got recruited to the University of Kentucky. He was he was a Mr. Basketball prospect. And, of course, back then, um, if you were a Mr. Basketball in Kentucky, you automatically went to UK. And so mm. we thought we – thought, but John Pelfrey was actually on the staff at Marshall – for a couple of years when Billy Donovan was here coaching at Marshall. So there's that tie there. But um I didn't the know Billy Donovan had had coached there. Yeah, Billy Donovan started his coaching career at Marshall. Exciting wow. man. Really exciting. After that? Yeah, or? went to Florida. Okay. We, we, we went to wow. and I'll I'll tell you a quick story there. Um we bought season tickets. My dad and I bought season tickets with it with another couple of friends of ours because Billy's second year there, they had announced, you know, before the season that the next year that the University of Kentucky led by Rick Patino at the time, and they were a national championship team, they were going to come to Huntington and play in the in the Cam Henderson Center. And the athletic director said, Look, if you want to see the the cats here in Huntington, you're gonna be you you're gonna need to be a season ticket holder. And we were like, Yeah, it's no brainer. We're gonna see Kentucky. Well, Billy Donovan gets the Florida job and leaves in that series. Of, you know that Kentucky never played in in Huntington. So, but Billy's uh, one of Billy's kids is, was born here in Huntington. His daughter was born in Huntington, and and I had the great fortune of having an assistant on that staff, uh, Donnie Jones, who was on Billy Donovan's staff at Marshall when he was on his staff at Florida. Uh, Donnie Jones, who's from this area, has been a, a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast. He's now the the head coach at um, at Stetson, and and when he left Marshall, he was coaching at Marshall. Blake, you'll get a kick out of this. Donnie talks about on on the Intentional Encourager podcast how he got to coach Michael Jordan's two sons at the University of Central Florida. Hmm. That's pretty. He was cool. talking about the relationship of of Michael Jordan being in his office and them just be talking dad talk. You know. Here, <laughs> Well, but no, there's a lot of synergies there. But but again, I, I go I, I say all that to say this, Blake. It all starts with connection. You can find something to connect with somebody on. It doesn't so, matter. So so let's 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 unpack this a little bit because so first of all, Brian, what you're saying is absolutely true. The power of connection. I mean, it is so palpable, tangible, whatever you want to call it when you meet someone. And it's almost like before you even realize it, it's like, yes, of course, I'm going to buy from this person or this person is, mm-hmm. of course, going to buy from me because we have that connection. It, it, it's a concept that's so simple that I think every listener understands, but in practice, it gets so complicated and complex. And here's what I mean by this. Why does it feel like every salesperson has sort of like the, it doesn't feel like they're genuinely looking for that connection. It feels more like, hey, how are you? How's the weather? Oh, I heard, you know, I was on a sales call yesterday and somebody said, hey, oh, I hear a kid in the background. Oh, that's cool. I have kids. And so it's kind of like this. And I'm I'm just very, I'm not anti-sales, but I am very, um, I can sniff it out, you know? And so he's asking about my kids and I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, you're really only asking this because, you're you're trying to build rapport and I wasn't being cynical yeah. I just I just know the playbook so he asked me about the kids for about 30 seconds and then he said hey I want to tell you about this offer went right into the offer and then the next probably 5 to 10 minutes was him giving me you know and, and it feels like in the sales world we transitioned to sort of like this 
essay I'm dictating. Yeah. Like I'm reading off an offer sheet and I'd say about all the things that are amazing about it, all the things that happen with it. Yep. And it's never really what you're talking about, which is like this, this very genuine back and forth and conversation. And you said something else that I think is really important and powerful in the sales world. And I can't remember the exact phrasing you used, but it was something along the lines of how I'm serving you, how I'm helping yeah. you rather than look how awesome I am and how great this product is. You want to buy this. Talk to me about why does it feel like in practice, this doesn't quite play out the way that you're describing it should play out? Because people look at sales as all transaction and and no connection. The ultimate end goal is to get the sale, right? Is to close the deal. And so when you're focused on the end game being the transaction, and and you're not focused on the other things it takes to get to it, then all you see is the transaction in front of you. And you don't realize that everything has to happen fluidly. Fluidly, I should say. And and Blake, here's the thing. Another reason is, and and I'm going to drop this in here, is salespeople are not encouraged. Salespeople do not get encouragement very often. Yeah, they're encouraged in air quotes to grow their sales. They're encouraged in air quotes to grow their customer base. They're encouraged to make commission dollars. That's not what real encouragement is in sales. And so when you haven't when when your mindset is transaction over connection and your mindset is the encouragement is I'm getting that I'm getting is not for my betterment so I can better serve the customers, but it's more of a protection type of mechanism, then obviously you're going to come at it from that standpoint, Blake. And, and to your point, and you beautifully made that point, is you understand how sales should be, not how sales is a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so I commend you for having the insight to understand. And you got to spend some time with a good buddy of ours, Dale Dupree. I love Dale. Dale wrote the forward to people buy from people. And, and something that Dale does that's that's so unique is, is Dale is not afraid to be authentic. Dale, Dale has been authentic from the from the time that I've met him and we connected about our dads. Dale has all he's never been afraid to be authentic. And in sales, you cannot be afraid to be authentic because people buy authenticity. And I, I, I learned that a long time ago. I would do things that most salespeople wouldn't do. I would try to connect in ways that most salespeople wouldn't connect. And so when you're willing to do those things, you really don't care about it, but you make it all about the experience, then you're not going to be like every other salesman out there. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to be like, like every other person. Well, let's let's create even some some traction around this idea because I I love this concept and I think for people listening, we're talking about doing something different than the rest of the sales world. We're not we're not talking about being like weird or zany or like you know you walk into like your prospect's office with like a funny hat on and you know well, why like, not? Well, he, <laughs> here's the thing. Why listen? I I worked with a guy. I worked with a guy in in a food service company. That on Halloween, he rented a Superman costume and went around to his customers in a Superman costume. 
And most of the guys thought he was nuts. And, and, but I thought, but you know what? Guess what they're going to talk about next week when he rolls in the door. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And guess what they're going to talk about next year? They're, they're going to ask him next year, hey, Halloween's coming up. What are you going to dress up as this year? Yeah. Yeah. And it's creating and, chatter, right? Exactly. And so you want to give, you know, and that's another chapter in the book is people buy memorable. People buy memories. You know, you have to give people memorable experiences in buying. And and now here's the thing. So let's go back to your your illustration. Your memory of this guy that that pitched you was that for 30 seconds he asked you about yourself, and then for 10 minutes he talked about his product. Mm-hmm. So he's created a memory in your mind instead of really getting to know you and your family a little bit better creating something memorable for you where you go, hey, when that guy called on me, he made it about me. He connected with me. You'll never forget that. And I have customers that I've called on to this day. We still have a great relationship, 25 years in the making, over 25 years, because you just try to distinguish yourself and you just try to be different and unique and memorable. And you just, you just, you double down, Blake. I don't mean to get long-winded here, but you double down on what you do best and how you're going to be different, and you double down on it, and you don't care what everybody else says, and you don't care what happens. You double down on you, and the results will come. It almost feels like, first of all, I love that, you know, and I think we all have... A lot of us talk about how we don't like sales. We don't feel comfortable with sales. And I I think that is true to some regard. It's just like public speaking in some ways. It's hard sometimes to put yourself out there and embrace rejection. On the same token, I think a lot of us have sort of this natural affinity for sales where we can build connection with someone. We should know how to build a relationship with someone. I think, think, and you mentioned this a little bit, how we're encouraged as salespeople a lot of times it is bosses who are really pushing that bottom line, who are really pushing the numbers, how many phone calls. I mean, I remember I had a friend of mine who was screamed at because she hadn't made enough phone calls that day. And she had spent too much time on the phone with the prospect. It was kind of like, you know, you either need to either need to make the sale or you need to cut them and move on. Do you know why that is? No, tell me. Most of the time it's because that boss is getting bonused that boss's bonus is being affected or their performance numbers are being perfected, you know, affected. Never forget this. There are two things that motivate people in life professionally, money and power, money and influence, money and climbing the corporate ladder to get what they want. And so a lot of times that person that got screamed at, and that's terrible. That is horrible leadership. Our good friend, Kristen Sherry, says something that I've never forgotten. She told me one time, she said, Brian, people leave leaders. They don't leave companies. They leave leaders. Right. right. And, and, and that was just so insightful. And it, it's, it's typical Kristen brilliance. She is just brilliant. And, and I will say this, that the, the two reasons that I have found that sales leaders that I've worked around act like that is money and influence. They're climbing the corporate ladder and you're either keeping them from it or you're helping push them up to it. But, but, but here's my point, Brian, is, is that we, 
the sales process has become so me centric. I'm going to yell at you because you're affecting my numbers, yep. my bonus. And we have salespeople who are getting on the phone and they're talking about how we've been in business this long. We offer this, we do this. And there's never really the flipping of the script where, Hey, what's going on with your business? And, and yeah. not that you need to like, yeah. I'm not saying you need to waste someone's time and be like, tell me about your business. And you're like, you didn't do any research beforehand, but, but it, it's almost like, it's almost like I'm doing you a favor by selling you my product. So let me tell you about how awesome I am. How yeah. Great. Yeah. And I get it because you're you're pitching and you want people to think you're credible, reliable, and that it's the right answer. And yet it's this very one-sided perspective rather than think about that person who was really memorable because they sat down and they said, Tell me what's going on with your business. Hey, oh, I understand that. Here's what here's what my solution does for that exact problem. I gotta I gotta jump in here. You have hit on something that is just remarkable. If you understand the concept of pitching from a sports perspective, I'm going to take it here for just a second. When I was in high school, growing up, I played baseball. And I talk about this in the book. I was 11 years old, and, and my coaches realized I had a good arm. And so they turned me into a pitcher. Do you know that there's a process in teaching a kid how to pitch? First of all, you have to develop their windup or their motion. You have to teach them, okay, the first thing you have to do is make contact with the pitching rubber. So the mound is, is, is so many inches high, and you have a white rubbery thing, and it's literally called the pitching rubber. And the first thing that you teach that kid to do is stand on the rubber to make contact with the rubber. Then you say, okay, you've got to kick your your leg up and you've got to throw to the plate it is much harder to learn to pitch than it is to learn to catch because the pitcher in pitching and catching does 95 percent of the work mm. all the catcher has to do is squat down and hold their mid up and receive the pitch it's harder to pitch than it is to catch. Why, if you're a salesperson, are you trying to do the hardest thing that it is to do in pitching instead of letting your prospect do the work? Why not let them pitch themselves and you catch and then you, th you throw it back to them? The catcher, what the catcher does in baseball they receive the pitch, and they, they throw guys out. But the catcher is the most important. It, the catcher position is more important than the pitcher because the catcher is the field general. The catcher sees everything mm -hmm. on the field. It's not the pitcher. You know the pitcher. what the pitcher does? You know the only person that the pitcher can really see when he's in the windup is the catcher? He can't see the first baseman, the second baseman, the shortstop, or the third baseman. He sees none of the outfielders. You might see the third baseman out of the corner of your eye. You might see the first baseman out of the corner of your eye. But the catcher doesn't have to do near the work that the pitcher does. But the catcher has the more important position because they're seeing everything. And so in sales, learn to be the catcher. Learn to catch what your prospect is telling you.
And then you can frame that pitch and you can say, if you throw it here, you can get a strike. You get three strikes, strike a batter. And that's 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 the game of baseball. It's so easy. But most people want to be the pitcher because they're in the center of the diamond. Mm, yeah. Don't be the pitcher. Be the catcher. It's so much easier to catch. When I caught, <laughs> when I caught, I learned this. I put the gear on for the first time. I was 15 years old. Like, I want to go catch. And I couldn't catch when I was younger because my knees were not as good. I was still growing. And so I was like, I was 15 years old. I was like, I want to go catch. Like, all right, we'll put you back there. And the first time I put that gear on, I was like, wait a minute. All I got to do is squat down here and catch it. (laughs) And the kid threw it to the mitt. And I was like, okay, we had a one, two, three inning. All right, all I got to do is put the glove up. And I thought to myself, man, this is so much easier than being on the mound and all the pressures on me to to pitch. And so, again, in sales, salespeople, be the catcher. I love the concept. I mean, I, I really, I love the concept. And it it frames the conversation as, you know, you aren't the center of the world and the center of their world. You are one of... 50 problems that they're facing. And so why do we try to sort of insert ourselves as like the main person? But I love what you're saying because you're talking about, again, flipping the script and getting them talking and really becoming an empathetic, good listener rather than how do I wow you and blow you away? I think about like those salespeople who come to your door with like the vacuum cleaner and they're like, let me just plug it in. Let me just show you how it works. We do that a lot in the sales world where it's like, I know I only have your attention for a few minutes or five minutes. What do, how do I say all the buzzwords that gets you excited? And Brian, I was on another sales call today and, and I, I take these few and far between, but I was on another sales call today and I was just reflecting as I was listening to this person thinking, this person has no idea what's going on with good advice, uh, what's going on in terms of my needs, my problems right now, what do I need? This person is selling me a transactional answer rather than, hey, what's going on with good advice? And so you're nailing it from the perspective of what we should be doing. And yet we don't do it a lot. So is it, is it, am I, is it because people are just bad listeners? Is it because I feel uncomfortable when I'm not in control? Because when you think about this, when you're the catcher, you're making the other person the head of the conversation. They're the ones who, who's sort of driving the conversation. And so is it because we're uncomfortable with that? You know, where could it go? It doesn't follow. And for some of our salespeople, it doesn't follow the script that I've been given or that I've written or developed. What keeps us from doing that more often? Because we have a terrible definition of the of connection. Yeah. <laughs> we feel see what social media has done is and it's been great for business. It's been great because you can literally do business anywhere you want to do business with all over the world. But it's been terrible because we think all we got to do is hit a button and somebody's going to connect with us because our picture looks good. Listen, you've got a rock star picture on LinkedIn. I am <laughs> I I have picture envy because your picture is so good. But we have a terrible we 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 are we are lost when it comes to the definition of connection. And we think all we have to do is hit a button or send a friend request or follow this person. And it's like, oh, I'm connected. 
And so that's, but we have a terrible definition of connection instead of understanding what really makes connection work. And so that's why I wrote people buy from people is because I wanted people to understand the 10 connecting principles that really make connection work. And it's, and it's consistency, it's authenticity, it's thankfulness, it's meekness, it's uniqueness. It's, it's all those, it's engaging. It's all those different things that make connections really work. But people tend to, for instance, meekness. Would you ever think that meekness is a connecting skill? No, I think of, uh, in my mind, it's in opposition with sort of like the wolf on Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's why I wrote that. But here's the (laughs) definition of meekness. You ready? The definition of meekness is to be humbly patient or docile. And in sales, if you don't understand what it means to be humbly patient, you're going to humbly find yourself looking for another job. Because sales is not going to come overnight. The best piece of advice I ever got, Blake, I took over a territory. I was 25 years old. I got hired by by a division of the second largest food distributor in the United States. I took over a mature territory that had been established 40 plus years before then. They had some of the oldest customers in in the sales book. The guy that hired me worked that territory. He didn't build it, but he worked it. There was a guy that I worked with as well. He was an older gentleman. He was actually the one that built it, handed it off to the VP of sales. And so I'm following all these giants in the, in the company, in the division of the company. I'm following all these guys. And I'm 25 years old, and they hire me to run this territory. I have to move 50 miles away to a little town called Gallipolis, Ohio and Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And by the way, if you look up Point Pleasant, West Virginia, the most famous thing it's known for is two things, the Mothman and the the collapse of the Silver Bridge in 1967. I I saw the Richard Gere movie, and I've never heard of that. Well, that wasn't filmed in Point Pleasant, (laughs) but, but they still have a Mothman museum. So here I am, 25 years old, Blake. And I, and I, and, and I, and I, I'm in the room with guys that I know, and one of the senior guys comes up to me and he calls me, he calls me sexy. He says, sexy, let me come over here a second. And I go over there and he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. It's going to take you three years to figure it out. How to run your territory, how to connect with customers, how to do all these things. He said, but once you figure it out, you're going to have it. That was in 1997, 98, 99, 2000 was the best year I ever had. And so in, in, in January of 2001, I'm at the, no, I'm sorry. So 97, 98, 99. So 98, 99, 2000, three years, 2001, everything came together. And in January of 2002, I was at the embassy suites in Charleston, West Virginia, and heard my name called as the salesperson of the year, the highest award in that division. And those words came back to me. It's going to take you three years sexy to put it together. And it was because I had to do things. I had to learn a new way of doing things. And so, again, I had to be patient. I didn't win salesperson of the year in 98. Didn't win it in 99. Didn't win it in 2000. Won it in 2001. I had to figure out what it took to get there. 
And a lot of times, Blake, guys don't want it, guys and gals don't want to figure out what it takes to get there. They just want to go, okay, well, I'm going to sell $10 million tomorrow. No, you're not. And so meekness is such a great connecting skill because it teaches you to be humbly patient. Let the conversation come to you. Prefer the other person. Step back, be docile, and just be the catcher. Well, and think about think about the the strategy of this too. I mean, it's understanding that if someone's not ready to buy, I don't write them off and move on to the next person trying to find. Because I've I've even heard salespeople talk about how their strategy is. Anytime they pick up the phone, if they get a sense that the person's not going to buy, it's pretty much okay. Hey, I got to go. See ya. And they just they just literally cut the conversation abruptly and move on to the next person on the list. And we, we really miss out on understanding this concept of long-term fruit and building relationships and how some of our most profitable clients can come from the relationships we've invested in. Brian, I think what I really appreciate about your perspective is, and, and bringing it back to the book, People Buy From People, I love how natural some of this stuff is to you. And I think part of it is in reading People Buy From People, how great of a role model your dad was yeah. In in emulating these concepts and demonstrating these concepts, yeah, you know the phrasing "people buy from people" comes from your dad. Talk to me a little bit more about what it was like growing up with this person who just who just understood it, who just got it when it came to the sales world. My dad was nineteen when I was born. He married my mom. He was eighteen. He had just graduated high school in in July of nineteen seventy one. And in August of 72, here comes his firstborn son. And I think my dad had always understood how fathers and sons, my dad lost his dad when he was four. My granddad, actually just not far from here, literally less than a half a mile from where I'm talking to you from, is that my grandparents had a place there, walked to this little church. And my granddad actually died in church. My dad was four years old. My granddad stood up to pray and then died of, of a heart attack in church. And so my dad grew up with older brothers that became his father figure. And so he saw them with their kids and said, this must be the way to be with your kids. My dad sat in the dugout when I was in Little League and called my pitches. My dad took me to baseball practice. My dad took me to to. Reds games. I'm a, I'm a diehard Cincinnati Reds fan. My dad played catch with me out in the yard, but you know, my dad also did for me, Blake. My dad also showed me how to love my, how to love my wife by loving my mom. My dad also showed me the love of God by taking me to church. My dad also showed me how to work by going out every day and working and busting his tail. And I'll never forget my dad in the summertime would take me on the road with him and we would go out. And, and the first time I saw a strip mine was with my dad in, in Eastern Kentucky. My dad would take me and we, I learned how to be a great conversationist, Blake, because my dad from an early age would get me in the car and would ask me about stuff. And, and so I became a really good conversationalist because my dad poured those things into me. My dad got me up at three years old in church and be, I began, I sang for the first time when I was three years old in church. <laughs> you know, my dad always believed in my abilities to do things. 
Um, and I write about it in the book. I'm 15 years old. We go to a, a Pentecostal church that my uncle um, pastored. And my dad said, man, we really need a bass guitar player. I'm like, I don't play bass guitar. He's like, yeah, but we got a keyboard and it splits. And you could kind of play the bottom end of it because I'd taken some piano lessons. And he said, tell you what, Sunday morning, you're going to play that thing for the first time. You're going to play in church. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Tell my dad, no, uh, that was <laughs> not happening. And so my dad was always, my dad would put me in uncomfortable positions knowing that I'd figured it out. And so my dad had supreme confidence in me. Um, I remember, I remember the, the year before he died, I called him. I was really emotional. I called him one day and I said, dad, I've been praying. And I said, man, I've got a word for your church. And my dad said, and I told him what it was. And he said, and I said, here it is. And he said, I'm not going to come and preach it. You're going to come and preach it. You're going to come and preach at my church. I wasn't a preacher, Blake. I wasn't, I wasn't, that wasn't my thing. I, I later discovered that God was calling me there. But my dad, three weeks before my dad died, my dad called me and he said, I need your help. He said, I, I have folks in my church. We need, we need a, just a spark. And he said, I need your help. Come down this Sunday and help me. And, and Blake, here's the thing. When I would go to my dad's church, it was an all-day thing. Like, we would start at my church. Like, we would leave, drive 45 minutes to the church I go to in Charleston, West Virginia. And then we would drive an hour back to, to, to Huntington. And I would go to church there. We'd grab something on the way there. My dad would be calling me, how close are you? What, where you at? Come on, where you at? You know. And then, you know, he would take us to dinner afterwards. I mean, it was all day. But my, I've never seen my dad more proud than those times that I would come to his church and sing or whatever. So my dad was a great influence in my life. But I'll share two, two quick stories with you. The, when my dad and I worked together the first, for the first time in February 2012, my dad and I got to work together. And we spent three months together every day. We were traveling all over the place together. We were spending 14, 15 hours a day together, eating dinner to get, eat, literally eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner together four days a week for three months. And I told my, my wife one day, I said, I want my dad to see how good I am. Cause I'd been in sales previous. I'd won awards and things like that. I said, I want my dad to see this up close and personal. The day before my dad died, Every month we would see, I would see a customer. He would see the customer the following month. So we would rotate. And I connected with a guy in Akron, Ohio, and one of our customers. And my dad that day that, that, I mean, my dad just blew me up. He called my phone like six times. And finally he was, I'm like, what do you want? And he goes, where have you been? I said, I've been inside talking to Eric. And he goes, I don't like that guy. You've been talking to him for an hour. I said, yeah. I said, we connected because we have MBAs, dad. I said, you got to, you know, I figured out how to connect with him. Blake, the day before my dad died, he visited that customer. And he, and that customer for an hour told him, we love Brian. 
man, we're so glad Brian's here with you. That's so awesome because they were a father son. I connected with the son. My dad connected with the father and they understood the dynamic of the father son relationship. And my dad gets to the car and he's, and my mom's like, where you been? He's like, that guy's been blowing me up about Brian. He loves Brian. And for my dad to tell me that my dad did it, but he called me and he said, I just had a love fest about you. And my dad was just ribbing me. And, but my mom told me after he died, he said, she said he was so proud of you. Hmm. He was so proud of you. My dad passes away on a Thursday morning in the middle of the night, somewhere between three and six in the morning was when my mom found him. I was in a fog for two weeks or better. It was a Friday, Blake. And I was just burdened. I, I literally felt a weight on my shoulder because I was, my mom said, you need to come help our church. And I was my church and I was doing my job and my dad's job. And I was literally trying to step into every, just about every shoes that my dad had filled. I was trying to step into them and do something to try to help try to, to, to ease the void to Friday. And I'm praying and I said, Lord, I want to have a dream about my dad. The next night was Saturday, Saturday night into Sunday morning. I have a dream and here's the dream. I'm standing in the warehouse with my dad and I have my back to my dad and I'm looking at some shelving and I'm, I'm looking at product on this shelving and I'm my dad's, I have my back to my dad and I said, dad, where are you going this week? And he said, well, I'm going here, 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 and here. And I said, and I realized it and I said, but you're not here anymore. And I turned around and there was a door to the left and he had went out that door and had left it cracked open. And I began to get tears in my eyes and I sprinted for the door. I mean, I'm sprinting. I don't sprint anywhere, not even to a buffet. I sprinted <laughs> to the door. My dad is standing in front of his work van and he has tears in his eyes and the back doors are open. And he says to me, he looks at me, he says, I didn't want to leave. I said, Dad, I know you didn't. And I looked back at him and I had tears in my eyes. I said, Dad, I'm trying. And he said, I know you are, son. And I woke up. And that heaviness lifted wow. my shoulders. And my wife, it woke my wife up and she said, are you okay? And I said, I am now. And from then on, I felt zero pressure to do anything and to live up to that. And I stayed with the company a few more months and we had a, we had a parting of the ways and was, it was amicable the next day though, after I left, I had a customer that had a really close relationship. He actually drove down through, drove three hours from Cincinnati to the funeral. He called me the next day and he said, I just referred you for a position. you you need to call this guy. And I, and a month later I got that job. Wow. And so again, my dad's impact, I can still feel my dad's impact today. Even though, Blake, if I would take my contacts out and put my glasses on and shave my beard, I would be the spitting image of my dad. And it's the reason I didn't is because I wanted to be my own man. My dad's impact on me was just tremendous. And I had a friend of mine 
friend of mine and my dad's. My dad actually led this guy to the Lord. He told me a couple of years ago, he said, it's time for you to be your own man. He said, you've done such a great job of honoring your dad's legacy, but it's time for you to be your own man. And that was liberating to me because I was, I was trying to keep my dad's memory alive in any way that I could in every way that I could. And, and, and I, and I feel my dad's presence and I, I got to man, please, I got to share one more story. Five months after my dad died every day, I would tell in my prayer time, I would say, Lord, Tell my dad that I love him and I miss him. I'm sitting on an airplane. I'm going to fly from Charlotte to Kansas City, Missouri. I've got a California pizza in my hand because I'm grabbing something, getting to the plane so I can take off. At least I'm going to eat my lunch on the plane. I'm like, I'm good. I'm in the backseat. I'm going to eat my lunch on the plane. I said, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Lord, tell my dad I love him and I miss him. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I tell him every time you ask me. That's sweet. I love that. And so from then on, I knew that I was good, man. Mm -hmm. I was good. And so writing this book was time. There were emotional times, but there were more times of good that, that came from it. And I did what I set out to do, man. And here's the coolest part of that. I intentionally released that book on the anniversary of my dad's death. I wanted to turn a day of sorrow into a day of, of joy. Mm. And so the anniversary of the podcast is coming up. I released the podcast on my dad's birthday, April 8th. Again, a day of sorrow to a day of joy. And so I want to encourage somebody that's listening to today. I didn't mean to hijack the podcast, Blake. I want to encourage somebody out there that's listening that everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. You're walking through a season right now that you don't understand what's going on. You really wish that you had all the answers, but you don't. You really wish you knew what each day was going to bring, but you don't. I'm here to tell you everything is going to be all right. The answers you need are already within you. Give them time to surface. Mm -hmm. It's powerful, Brian. And what a great legacy your dad's built. You can see it in you, man, just as you talk about it. I think also what I like is on the background behind you, I can see the words be intentional. And one of the main things I got out of your story was how intentional your dad was yeah. in his day-to-day -day life and teaching you and parenting you and mentoring you. Uh, all the way from three years old. I don't know if I could sing in front of someone at three years old, but uh, obviously. I didn't care, man. And one of the things <laughs> that I didn't say was when I was four, I jumped off the platform after I got done singing and rolled down the aisle. That's a true story, man. <laughs> I just uh, didn't care, man. I was just like, yeah. you know, <laughs> let it all hang out, I guess. Well, your, your dad was obviously really intentional with you. And yeah. man, I just, I loved your perspective today on really just being intentional with your customers and having honest conversations, real conversations. Uh, Brian, we are unfortunately out of time. Tell, tell us what's, you know, you've, you have this incredible podcast. The book is out. Listeners, you can get it on Amazon. People buy from people. And I'll have a link down below. Uh, what's next? I mean, what you've already conquered two worlds, the audio world and the literary world. Where, where are you going next? What's happening next with Brian Sexton? I wish I, I, well, I think next is dinner 
tonight. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. No, Blake. Um, and I want to share with your, your audience. I, so I'm getting some more, um, I'm getting some more copies ordered. Um, probably do that tomorrow, but if you'll send me an email at sextonbryan13 at gmail.com, sextonbryan13, that's my personal email address. If you'll send me an email there, and you want to get a signed copy of the book. Uh, I know some people don't want to buy from Amazon, but if you want a signed copy, I, if, if you'll connect with me there, I'll get you, you know, I'll, I'll sell you a signed copy of the book and you can get it. And I sign it for you and personalize. I try to personalize every book. So every book that I sell, when people order it, I, I actually write their name in it, Blake. It's unreal, man. I sign it. I, I put a personalized uh, message. Unreal in, in today's world, but that's just how you do business. Yeah. And so, but you. yeah, the next thing is um, I'm working on the book, The Intentional Encourager. So we're going to, we're going to teach folks how to encourage themselves first and then how to encourage others. So leaders, ministers, um, teachers, mm-hmm. you know, salespeople, if you encourage yourself first, then you can encourage other people. Um Probably we'll do a second book this year if we can get everything together. That's the goal is to do two books this year. So that so just for the good advice audience, just for the seriously, I haven't told many people this. The second book is going to be called A Contrarian Mindset. How to think differently. I love it. Don't be like everybody else. And yeah. so and so that that's what's new. The podcast is just um, it's gonna it's gonna grow. I I really believe that. Man, we've got some powerful stuff coming up. One of the things coming up that Blake's a part of is the People Buy From People podcast series. So I'm getting all the endorsers together. Blake Benz, Kristen Sherry, Damon Burton, Bob Sager, Dale Dupree, Rain Kansman, Lori Knudsen, um, I'm drawing Larry Levine. Many of the people that you know and follow on LinkedIn, some of the some of the best influencers on LinkedIn that are friends of mine agreed to endorse this book. And so they're coming back on to do people buy from people podcast, Jason Romano, Jason's the other one does the sports spectrum podcast. And so that's, what's next. And just continuing to have my goal is I'll, I'll share this real quick with the audience. My goal for the intentional encourager podcast is to be the place where the influencers of LinkedIn tell their stories. I love it. I love it, man. It's great. Well, Brian, we wish you well and absolutely appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you for the intentional encouragement today and for the incredible advice on why people buy from people. Encouraged people are empowered people. That's my good advice for the day. What a great place to end. For the listeners, thanks so much for checking out the podcast. And more importantly, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, I'm going to put the information that Brian shared about. First of all, I'm going to put his email down in the episode description below. That's sextonbrian13 at gmail.com. Be on the lookout for his two upcoming books. And absolutely make sure you buy a copy or connect with Brian to get a signed copy of People Buy From People. I'm also going to put a link to his LinkedIn bio down in the episode description below. We do a lot of business on LinkedIn. We like connecting with people on LinkedIn. So if you haven't checked out LinkedIn, Brian will be your first connection. And don't forget, hey, we got a Patreon. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you love the podcast, man, you got to buy us a cup of coffee, support the podcast for only $5 a month, or you can get your business advertised on the podcast. Check that out. Patreon.com slash good advice. That's patreon.com slash good advice. Hey, that's all we got for you today. Thanks for listening. And as always, we'll catch you next time. See ya.